Judge Cast. My name is CJ Schrader, Level 2 Judge from Atlanta, Georgia. I said Smyrna last time, but nobody knows where Smyrna is. It's Atlanta. This is our first time running it without Sean Catanese here helping us. And when I say us, I mean me, and then also my beautiful co-host, Jess Dunks. Hello? Hello. <laughs> Hello, yeah. I'm a Level 2 Judge from Northern California. Uh, I said Vacaville last time, but nobody knows where that is, so exactly. Northern California is fine. Uh, and we are joined today by our guest, Brian Prillivan. Hello! I am a L2 from uh, 60 miles west of New Smyrna. So if you don't know where Smyrna is, you probably don't know where New Smyrna is. I, I know However, Smyrna absolutely is, don't right. know where New Smyrna is. However, uh, I'm, I live in Orlando, so now you know where New Smyrna is. It's 60 miles east of Orlando. Wow, that was exciting. I'm still not entirely uh, sure where that is. Actually, geography! I vaguely, uh, vaguely know where Orlando is. It's in Florida, and I know where Florida is. Yeah, that's true. Well, there you go. I mean, that's really all. And they wonder why the U.S. is failing geography. Like, to me, Miami, Orlando, Jacksonville, they all just border each other. There can't be any well, distance between them. You've got so, like, so you've got, like, some Disney thing out there, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's basically what it is. It's like the giant city of Disney, and then everywhere else is just these little townships. Or, uh, uh, you know, speaking Speaking of Disney, actually, there's uh, the application went up. Actually, it's about to close for uh, GPLA, and supposedly there's a, a Disneyland trip that the judges there are going to be going on at GPLA, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about that because I applied. So we'll see if I get that. Do you know when it closes the application? The application closes on the 23rd. So, okay, so this, nobody this, this show this show will already have aired. Yes, I uh, mean when, when the application comes out. But oh well, I yeah. <laughs> Sorry well. guys, yeah. this would have been uh, fun, but as <laughs> <laughs> <soon as> you lose. <laughs> so any of you that and any of our listeners that you know already applied, maybe I'll see them at Disneyland the day after GP Atlanta. There's a Coldplay concert right around from the venue. Oh, really? Boy. Ooh. So if you can't go see the mouse, you can maybe listen to clocks. <laughs> I don't get that joke because I don't listen to Coldplay. I have this weird question that I ask when people start talking about going to the Grand Prix and, and judging them and stuff. I always go, well, what format is it? And people look at me like, what does it matter? Why does it matter what format it is? Because like, I like to play Magic, too. I like to occasionally go to GPs just to play. And so many judges just look at me like I'm like from another planet when I tell them I actually want to play sometimes at Grand Prix. Yeah, I've never played in uh, Grand Prix. I, well, I think I think a lot of um, I'll say a lot of judges that go to GPs a lot are you know you know they just they base it on like the the location of the GP and the schedule and stuff like that. So it almost doesn't matter what format it is simply because it's it's you know. The the location is this hub. I can get time off from this work schedule. I got accepted. You know, that's true. Those those kind of things. So it's like it's it's either it's either they go to a lot and so it's just another GP, or it doesn't matter because it's the only one I could fit into my schedule. That's true. That's true. Well, I think that's enough of this jibber jabber for a while. Jibber jabber. You know, this since the last time we recorded, we actually had a few things happen that I would call uh, news or worth sharing with the judge community. 
which usually I don't think happens, but one of the first things, and we, we should have talked about this during the last podcast, but we kind of forgot, is that we have had some new judge foils announced. We're going to have um, a command tower judge foil and sneak attack judge foil. Uh, personally, I'm excited for Command Tower because I only bought one of those Commander decks, and I'm really I'm, glad to have more. I'm happy happy for Command Tower too. Uh, I've heard I've heard I've heard some some rumbling that it's like, oh, this isn't gonna. That means it's not gonna be in that uh, from the Vault Realms uh, set they're coming out with. Mm-hmm. And, and there was there was a lot of well, I'll say controversy, but you know, it's it's oh, an announcement was made. Controversy, controversy. Yeah. Uh, where people are like, oh, great, judges getting more cool things that I want. You know, I being random person. Well, and I yeah, was like, how do you guys, how do you guys feel about that? Like, what are your opinions, thoughts? I, I think that it's that's the point of the judge gift program is to give the judges something that people want, right? If you give them some, if you just like, oh, here have this this terrible kind of crap card that nobody wants, tarpan. but it's foil. And it hasn't been... What's that? Tarpan. Tarpan? Yeah, tarpan. Thank <laughs> you, Ice Age. Come on, man. Yeah, Tarpan. Yeah. Come on. Uh, <laughs> card. Anyway, uh, so I think if you give judges like crap cards, it's not going to matter, and they're, they're not going to be worth anything. And there are plenty of other cool cards that are going to be coming out in things like From the Vault Realms or other sets that people are going to get their hands on. I think people just complain no matter what if judges get a cool card and they don't. Like, I heard the same complaints about, you know, Bitter Blossom and Vendillion Click. Also, when you hear you hear the the same stuff with you know with the actual from the vault sets, you know from a different set of people, it's like, oh well, they're gonna charge ninety dollars, and I can't. You know, in a lot of ways, it's oh no, something came out that I can't get in a pack, so therefore I'm you know I'm going to have to work work a little bit to get it. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand the attitude. I mean, like, I never got to chase the Mind Sculptor either, you know what I mean? Like, no. there's just some cards I am not willing to pay the money for, therefore I can't get them. At least with, like, Command Tower, if I wanted a regular version of it, I could get it relatively cheap. You know, it's not like... Right. Some yeah, you can, buy a com- you can buy a Commander deck yep. or find find your friend who doesn't want to play Commander anymore and, and just get his. Uh, was it in all the Commander decks? Yeah, it was. Every single one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think that's as big a deal. What about sneak attack? Is that going to be one that you think uh, goes up in demand, or or is command tower the one we're really looking at? I have as far as being personally no idea why sneak attack was chosen as a judge foil. Is it played a lot in legacy or something? It's my guess. Uh, I I think re- realistically, I think probably the the reason that they choose them the the cards that they do is not necessarily what's being played a lot, but what has a perceived value to it. Okay. Because because you got to remember that these are, you know, some people refer to these judge foils as like a second paycheck for judges. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they're the only paycheck. Um, you know, it's... Yeah. It's in a lot of in a lot of ways when you when you get accepted to GPs when you get accepted to to, to pro tours and stuff like that, you you do get paid you know in in you know from the TO in the form of a booster box for the day that you work or the days that you work. Uh, however, you normally have to do a lot of stuff outside the event, uh, the events to to get into pro tours and get into GPs and stuff like that, and that's all. Um, 
you know, unpaid stuff. So these, these packs are not only a recognition for that, that effort that's put in, but it's also, you know, hey, you had to buy, you know, you had to buy a $300 plane ticket to come here. So here's something to help with that. Yeah, in case people don't understand, uh, the Pro Tour is the only tournament I know of where you're actually given, you know, X amount of dollars. And that's supposed to cover all your expenses. Otherwise, sometimes you'll get sponsored and have your hotel room paid for. But a lot of times those expenses are up to you. I use those judge foils to help pay for all my judging, basically. I, I use it to um, to get from these GPs that are out of state. That was I've definitely point. worked with people that were that were interested, quote unquote, in becoming a judge. And once they found out that the compensation is, isn't what they thought it might be, uh-huh. they were no longer interested. Yeah, and uh, I think that's fair. And I, well, I mean... It, I think part of that might be intentional, though, because, you know, it's not a job. I mean, it's a job. It's work. But it's not – you can't really support yourself off of judging – I don't know. Is there anyone that does that supports themselves off of going to GPs and, and whatnot and selling their judge oils? No. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's anyone that does that. Uh, and it's not something that you can do. And, and I don't know. I, I think that there's a misconception that judges just make bank, and yeah. they really don't. No. Uh, but at the same time, it's a lot of fun. It's a rewarding experience. That's why there's so many judges in the first place. Now, now here's something that's a bit surprising. Uh, Star City Games has four Judge Foil sneak attacks in stock. For, yeah. Uh, 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 I don't know what? where they got them. Uh, I heard a rumor on Twitter that uh, there was a judge conference where some of them were given out, uh, but I didn't think that was supposed to happen yet. Yeah, and... I mean, maybe, but, I mean, if Star City's got them, maybe, but that seems kind of weird, because I don't even think that they've started doing the uh, the ones from Honolulu, like the Sarazen and the Sword of Light and Shadow. I don't think they've started putting those in uh, in packs yet. Are they pre-orders, maybe? Because, I mean, as we all know, Star City staffs, like, 18 different judges, so maybe they're just pre-selling them? Uh, well, it doesn't, it doesn't have uh, an alert or anything that says like, hey, by the way, hmm. this ain't gonna, this isn't gonna ship right away. Cause that was my next question is, do we know when these are gonna rotate into the standard GP packet? Cause, uh, they were not in GP Nashville's. Uh, uh what, what was in the GP Nashville packet? Um, was it still Flusterstorm yep. One-Eyed? Yep. That's what it was. Okay. Which, which makes sense. I mean, if you think about it, that packet only started at what worlds? Right. Which wasn't all that long ago in terms of events. I mean, like, like they had, they had worlds and then they had like two GPs, uh, or three GPs and then, uh, uh, Honolulu when they introduced the new stuff. So. Yeah. From a, from a time standpoint, that packet really hasn't been out there all that long, but people are like, and that's kind of weird too. It's like, oh, oh, you know, right after it comes out, uh, the worlds pack comes out, then people are like, Oh, they see the Honolulu stuff. Where's that? And now, you know, the next wave is even spoiled. So we we're not even getting the next stuff. Yeah. And we know what. I mean, that's really kind of unheard of. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. One last point on this uh, judge polls before we move on, because wow, we talked about this a lot longer than I expected. Um, is that pro- the judge foils no longer rotate per each pro tour, and this was because uh, because there's there's such a variable number of um, GPs between the Pro Tours now. There's just so many GPs that they can no longer, it just wouldn't make sense sometimes to rotate the, the, uh, foils every Pro Tour. So now they just rotate every X number of events and, you know, it's, it's some scale that we don't know ahead of time. Yeah. Alright. So now that further jibber jabbering is done, 
Matt Tabag, he's the rules manager for Magic the Gathering, this card game we're talking about right now. Uh, he made a couple of tweets that I thought were interesting. Uh, the first one, it's really awkward to read a tweet out loud, but I'll do my best. Uh, he says, polishing the AVR back, and it says redacted in parentheses, is the leader in the clubhouse with 12 rulings. And then also he says, LOL, for one card in AVR, a member of the review team submitted the following ruling, just call a judge. What so. do you guys think is coming? This stuff makes me nervous. Like, I think the most complicated thing in um, Dark Ascension was probably having Ghoul Lich and uh, that tree, Tree of Redemption. Well, you know, there are a lot of cards that have complicated rulings that end up not mattering because the card's actually terrible uh, and nobody plays it. Yeah, that's true. And then there are cards that are have complicated rulings, but it's a mythic rare, and it almost never comes up anyway because it's a mythic rare, and then when it does come up, the complicated stuff doesn't always come up, so it's not that bad like Karn. It's gonna be uh, it's it's gonna be some sort of combination of like Karn and Spellskite. So it'll be like <laughs> spell Spellskite Deliberated or something where it's like you know, a legendary Spellskite. Yeah, change change target change 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 the target of ability that would make you lose the game to you winning the game. Or something horribly it's just going to be an anti-Karn card that says if you would start the game, instead don't. <laughs> instead, yeah. if, you, if you would restart the game, instead restart the game uh, and control all of your opponent's turns. Uh, yeah. Karn Slaver. Uh, Karn Slaver. There Karn we go. Good, yeah. Karn Slaver. What I, what I really want to see is a card that lets you, uh, you know, reveal it from your opening hand. And if your opponent was going to go first, instead you go first. That's fancy. And then and then you discard the card. So it's like you mulligan to go first, and then you have this dead card that does nothing else. The rest and then of you the also don't get the draw, which you were originally on the draw. So you're like, okay, that sounds terrible. All right, so uh, Jason Limbs, the level five judge, and we're done talking about this. Wrote an article. Uh, he wrote an article about judge levels and also about his journey from level one to level five, called Judge Lord. <clears throat> it's basically called Judge Lord to fit in with the Lord theme week. Uh, did you guys happen to read it? I did. I did. All right. Well, what did you think? Um, is it is it bad that let me find it? Like the first when reading it, the first thing I thought about was, hey, the ruling on uh, on Dark Confidant has changed since Limbs was an L one. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Where was it? It was something like, uh, yeah. Here we go. I'll never uh, wrap. Uh, my first judge call is one I'll never forget. Ravnica had come out, and it took two minutes into the event before my roommate, of all people, put the card um, for his dark confidant directly into his hand without first revealing it, making my first official ruling being penalizing my own roommate with a game loss. Awkward. <laughs> wow. That was, there, there was the time when that was true? That's, that's awkward. Um, it is. Yeah, I actually had, you know what's funny? My first competitive uh, REL event that I judged, my first ruling was on Dark Tutelage, and exactly the same situation happening. And we didn't at all game loss this person. <laughs> well, it, it, you, yes, it's not a game loss anymore. It used to be, I guess, uh, one of the things you guys talked about last time was talking about the way things used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, uh, uh fail, failure to reveal used to be, uh, 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 used to not have the clause in it about, you know, verifying, you know, revealing a card in order to verify that a action was legal. So it's just if you straight up, if anything told you to reveal and you didn't. So, for well, our, our listeners, what is the penalty today? It's still a game loss, but the, the difference is 
that it's it's specifically dealing with if you uh, if a if a spell or an ability or something tells you to reveal a card to your opponent so that your opponent can verify that you took the legal action or you took a legal action. If a card tells you to search for a creature card and put it in your hand and you just search for a card and put it in your hand and don't reveal it to your opponent, then you did not demonstrate that the card was um, that the card you searched for was an actual creature card and that you took a legal action. And that clause used to not be in there, but it is now, so... Well, I want to. I also want to point out that with things like Dark Confidant and with Dark Tutelage, simply starting your upkeep, looking at a card and putting it into your hand is not a game loss. That's a mistrigger. We don't want people, at, you know, at their grand prix trials and stuff, giving people a game loss because they just drew a card and forgot to do their Dark Confidant. Yeah, and then, um, and then they're all well. Judgecast said. Right, yeah, so if they try to resolve the ability without revealing, that's one thing, but if they just miss the trigger entirely, it's just a mistrigger, and we treat it as such, and we put it on the bottom of the stack and resolve it now, even if they've already drawn a card. I just want to make sure the two situations aren't confused. So, speaking of penalties, we were originally planning, and this is what we announced last show, was we would be discussing the March 20th IPG this week. Unfortunately, it came out yesterday that that IPG has been delayed until April 2nd, and it will be effective April 12th. Uh, the reason- what? What? Oh no! Oh! oh luckily, why would they? Why would they do that? Why? We have another why? show that week, so we can still oh. talk about the IPG. Why so would they do that, this, Brian? They're, just, they're well, just spreading out. They're just spreading out content for us. Yes, exactly. They're making <laughs> that show easy. That's- that's they're, of course what they were intending. They're helping us out. Uh, the actual intent there, uh, according to Toby Elliott, was that there are just so many events, uh, five GPs actually between now and and April first, that they don't want to confuse players because there's supposed to be significant changes in this IPG. Dun, dun. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too. Uh, but I uh, because of the significant changes, they don't want players to be confused the course of five GPs about which one they're supposed to be using. So so this is this is actually means that probably that some form of the uh, the December 20th IPG is, with the whole trigger stuff is going to come back in some form. Yeah, I'm very afraid of that. Yeah, I would. <laughs> well, well, and it's and it's good that they're actually trying to to pace this out because I we still get players who were like, I mean, and that, that version of the IPG was only out for like a week before it was retracted, but we yeah. still we still get players who's like, I don't have to tell my opponent when he misses a trigger anymore. It's like everybody heard about the IPG and then nobody heard about it being retracted. It's the weirdest thing. Or, yeah. Well, if you, if you look at it, like, you, don't you occasionally, like, run into players that still think that, you know, tapped blockers deal no combat damage? Yes. All the time. Yeah. So... And, and, like, there's been studies that show, like, when a, when a newspaper prints an article and then they have to later issue a retraction, well, the damage has already been done because people, you know, remember the, the sensationalism of whatever the error was, but, you know, the retraction is like, yeah, whatever. That's how, that's how Fox News, uh, makes a living. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna make an outrageous claim! And a little bit later, uh, may not have actually been, if they even, 
If they even say anything. <laughs> even if they, yeah. if they say anything. But yeah, the, the, the article, the Limbs' article is kind of cool, talking about the, the journey and the, the, the various events that he did and what he had to do. And I also liked how he gives like a, a, a picture at each judge level of a judge who is that current level. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, with, uh, specifically shout out to Raven Fox. Yeah, Raven Fox. Woo! Coolest name in the judge program. That is correct. <laughs> Period. Jess, have you ever gotten to meet Raven Fox? I have not had the opportunity. I remember before I met Raven Fox, everybody's always been like, oh, this Raven Fox is awesome. Oh, he's so cool. Everybody, you know, Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox. And then I met Raven Fox, I was like, oh, that Raven Fox is so cool. He's the best. <laughs> he's just super solid. I think the intro to the show should just be you just saying Raven Fox, Raven Fox over and over and over again. Because <laughs> that, made, that made me laugh. Uh, we'll see. Well, we had one last little bit of news to discuss uh, that isn't Raven Fox related. Uh, basically, it, all right, we, we can talk about Raven Fox some more if you want. He made L2 at, uh, I don't remember, whatever. So, so <laughs> starting immediately, um, GPs will use Swiss standings to decide who plays or draws during the top eight. I believe what this means is that if you are in first place and you are, you are in the Swiss first place and you're playing second place, you get to decide whether or not to play or draw. This will also go into effect for PTQs and WMCQs. I have no idea what a WMCQ is. That is the World Magic Cup qualifier. Thank you. I had no idea what that was. And then they're already using this for Pro Tours, but I guess they kind of experimented with it on Pro Tours at oh, first no. and they liked it. That means if I draw into the top eight, I may be negatively impacted. Yes. Yep. That's that is the purpose. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a. I believe uh, they started with this at uh, Pro Tour Amsterdam. Yeah. That's uh, right. Was was the first time that they tried that, and they've been doing it at Pro Tour since. And I guess they like it. I, I think I like it though. I like that you sit there, you play nine rounds, you go nine and zero. Oh, you know, you get this little benefit in the top eight. I, I think that's uh, good. It is worth noting that this is. This actually gives the higher ranking player the choice to play or draw, which could be relevant depending on their deck or uh-huh. in a limited environment. Maybe they want to draw first. Now, um, also, since this is goes into effect for April 7th for PTQs, this is not for the, you know, even though it's effective immediately for GPs, PTQs that are happening, say, at the end of this month. No, no, no. Yeah, and I've already so, said Yeah, question. it's not for the modern season, basically. Yeah. And I've seen the question asked, you know, if I want to run my PTQ like this, can I? And the answer is no. You need you need to continue running it the old way until April 7th comes around. Is there a, any indication that this might trickle down to, like, GPTs or anything like that? Or become an optional rule for low, uh, lower uh, attendance events? Right now, in chat, they straight up said this is not going to apply to GPTs okay. right now. But I don't know if that means forever and ever. But at this time, it seems not... Ugh. That's all the news we have, the newsish stuff. A uh, few things we want to talk about also on this show is uh, while we have Brian Prillman on, we're going to have him talk about being a judge manager. And then also I was going to go over my exciting events at GP Nashville this past weekend. Exciting adventures in Nashville. Nashville, Nashville, Nashville. Yeah. Sorry. Nashville. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna let you keep going. No. Raven Fox. Raven Fox. Raven Fox. Raven Fox. Raven Fox. All right, Ryan. Okay. You were the judge manager for GP Orlando. I was. And you're also the judge manager for GP Atlanta. I am in my backyard. In your backyard. 
Now talk GP, for 30 minutes. GP, 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 CJ's backyard. Yes. So what, is, what does that mean, though? Like, what, so, what does a judge manager do at an event? So there, there is a, a difference. So what I'm going to be talking about is U.S. judge managers because it is handled differently uh, uh, overseas, and I don't necessarily know about uh, uh, you know, South America and those uh, other places. You're a good guess. You would have found out before you came on. <laughs> wow. Bad, you're right. Bad you're, judge cast guess. You're right. Bad. Sean Cadenet, they had all this kind of extra information for us, and you're all, uh, I don't know, whatever. Well, well, yeah, because he's like a, he's an RC, and uh, yeah, man, it was, is, <laughs> no, man, I don't know. Way to bash, way to bash our guests. He's definitely going to want to be on the show again. No, Nobody's going to want to be on the show. They're like, oh, CJ's going to make fun of me. I want everyone to be on once well, there and then was, learn. There was, uh, at Honolulu, okay, two two players come up to me and they're like, hey, we're from, uh, we're we're level one judges from like, uh, I'll say Bolivia, okay? It was, it, was a, it was a South American country. And it's like, we're wondering how to get our name tags, if our name tags are with the kit. And they ask me this and I'm like, uh, I tell you what, uh, I haven't been in the kit lately, uh, at all. I'll go look. And then I just kind of, Sean just kind of comes up and Sean's just like, oh, well, you see, name tags are going to be handled this way. And he starts to elaborate on it and he's like, where are you guys from? And they give him the country. And he's like, ah, well, you see, your country is actually handled differently. And it's like, so they were from the one geographical area that had an exception and he knew it. And <laughs> I was like, wow. wow. This guy is wow. Yeah. So, so anyway, judge manager. Um, so what that what that basically means is uh, I am uh, responsible for for that event. I uh, the judge manager is a position that is is hired quote hired by the 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 PTO to take care of the judges and help with the staffing of the event. So. Basically, what I do is I talk with the with the with the TO, um, set out a, a preliminary schedule of here's and the RC. A lot of the conversations involve the the RC of the region. Set out a schedule of here's where we want the announcement to go out. Here's when we want to uh, uh, end it. Here's when we want to make the announcement, and then here's how much time we want to give the judges to arrange for travel. So it's very much start with the date of the GP and work backwards. So Atlanta right now, we're in March, and Atlanta is at the end of June, first, uh, like that, that weekend that spans June, July, and we've already, you know, we've already started years in motion, like I've already drafted up the, uh, the initial solicitation for Atlanta. That's how I know the day after the GP, there's a Coldplay concert. Cirque du Soleil, uh, is in town doing a Michael Jackson tribute thing. And there's a giant fireworks show, like a few. Yeah, how how much of a clash of of styles is that? Cir- Cirque du Soleil meets Michael Jackson. Uh, I'm hoping an awesome one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's kind of one of the things. Also, being a judge manager, when you when you generate the announcement, you 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 talk to the TO, you work out, or either you work with him to determine what the compensation is going to be, or you just take his stock answer. You 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 slap it in the announcement. You send it out. You want to generate excitement for the event. You want to get people to apply. Uh, you create on DCI Family the uh, the event itself, and uh, you start getting applications. So if you want to apply for uh, a GP, 
You go into DCI family, you read the solicitation, follow the directions. If it tells you to submit a cover letter with specific information, please do so because we don't ask for, if, if we ask for information, it's because we need it. Like if we asked you, what days are you volunteering to work for? And then you don't specify any days, but you still apply. That kind of creates, you know, that creates more work for me when it, it could just be, well, just, just put the information in when you're really or we the application that you'll work Friday and then you get assigned to grinders and then you come back later and you're like, Brian Brillman, why am I assigned to these grinders? Then I can point to it and be like, hey. Yes. Not that did that, that happen? happen. Did that happen? Did that happen to you? It might have happened to me. Did you say that you could work Friday? Yes, I did. And then you got assigned to work grinders? Yeah, well, maybe I didn't know what I was signing up for. Maybe you didn't know. <laughs> you know, actually, I've heard that before, though, uh, that some judges think working Friday just means kind of working the Friday Night Magic event the night beforehand, and that's there's way more to it than that because of all the grinders that go on. Doing grinders is fine. It's just I didn't realize I'd signed up for them, so I'd almost booked a flight that wouldn't have allowed me to be there in time. That was my only issue with that's it. That's awkward. Yeah, but luckily I hadn't booked a flight. So, now, so there's, one, there's one slot in a lot of those applications for GPs that I know a lot of judges have a problem trying to fill out, yeah. and it's typically the one that says something like, what are your special talents or... You know, what can you contribute to this event or things along those lines? Do you include a question like that on your applications or is that for that for uh, for Orlando, which was standard? I did not for Atlanta. I'm actually asking, uh, hey, do you have any legacy experience simply because I think I think it's pretty safe to assume that most judges are familiar with standard in some form or fashion. But it's not necessarily a safe assumption for legacy. It's it is it is an additional data point for me uh, uh, when it comes down to making a decision. So let me so let me actually talk about uh, making the making the decision. So when I, when we get all the applications uh, in or as we get them in, I start putting them in a spreadsheet and give it to the RC who puts it out in a Google Doc and makes it accessible to all the RCs. And then we start soliciting input on the the judges because. The RCs are the the ones who best know people in their regions. Like, I don't necessarily know judges from Canada or Japan or China or uh, even necessarily, uh, like, North Carolina, you know, just a few states away. But the RCs are responsible for knowing that. And if they don't know it, they're responsible for getting it. So they then provide the information about those judges. They They give an accurate or they're there to give an accurate uh, assessment of, of the judge. And then what I essentially do is I just sit there and I rack and sack. You know, they might make, they might say, please take this guy. He's, you know, he's in an isolated area. He's doing good things. We need to get him out of the area, you know, and you, you kind of tend to wait things like that a little bit differently if they put in a, requ- if they put in a specific re- request like that. Uh, uh-huh. Then, after all that's kind of all that's done, you know, also the head judge uh, provides input as well. And again, you rack and stack all the all the, the stuff and hopefully the decisions will be, you know, you'll have an easy time. Make, well, I say hopefully for me, it's it's having an easy time making the selections is, is is great, but I'd actually rather have a difficult time because that means that all the all the uh, the judges that applied are really good and I'm having a really hard time weighing pros and cons of which judge over another. So I would rather have a hard time than an easy time, but an easy time is still an easy time. 
then submit the list to the RC to the to the regional RC, submit the list to the head judge, final round of comments, that kind of thing, and then cut it, print it, ship it out. Rumors of whether or not requesting a sponsorship helps or hinders. It does help. Uh, not requ- uh, going as a volunteer, not requesting a room. I mean, simply because you are cheaper. You know, if there are two judges who are identical and one costs less than the other, uh, you're, you're, you're probably going to give the nod to, uh, to the one who costs less. So who has final, absolute final say on staff? Is, is it you as the judge manager? Is it, uh, head judge, TO? The, I believe, and I, and I say believe because it, for me it has not come up yet where there has been a conflict. Right. Uh, I believe that it is in the U.S. it is the judge manager. Okay. Uh, however, like I said, it has not come up with, with, uh, with Justin Turner who's, uh, the RC for both, uh, Orlando and, uh, Atlanta. and, uh, Atlanta. Uh, we've, we've talked and we've been, we've been in lockstep in an agreement, uh, in, on every step of the way. So, and we talk on a, on a daily basis about even non-judge stuff. So I don't ever foresee us having a situation where it needs to come down as to who had the final, who has the final say. Yeah. And again, it's different in, in Europe because I believe the RC makes all the decisions for that region's GP. So in that particular case, kind of the judge manager is the RC as opposed to them being separate uh, here in the U.S. Then after you get all the inputs, you put out the list. You generally work with the the head judge and the TO to get together a Friday schedule to determine who needs to be out there. Hopefully you get that out pretty soon after the acceptances so people don't start making travel plans, you know, thinking that they're not working Friday when they volunteered to work Friday? Oh, sure. Yeah. Hey, I paid double price of that air ticket because I postponed it so long. So I guess, you know, I got my comeuppance. Yeah. Uh, then you have to do things like uh, assigning roommates, picking judges to room together. And there's, like, interesting things you have to worry about there. Like, you know, you kind of you actually want judges who are on the same shift to be roommates together. So you don't have judges like if a judge is on the early shift and a judge is on the late shift. You know, you don't want to put those in the same room together because they actually bother and disturb and wake up the other one. Yeah, um, but what about, I mean, don't they fight over showers, though, if they're on the same shift? Maybe. I, I think that's less of a disturbance than yeah. I'm trying to sleep and you're coming into my room. Maybe. Well, first off, no. there's the odds that some people take their showers at night. Some people take their showers in the morning. True. You know, some maybe, they, shower. maybe they don't even shower. Yeah, why not? Yeah. You know. I don't know, man. I just, I just think it's a uh, uh, working that out as a convenience. Uh, you get, um, you gotta handle ordering shirts uh, for judges that don't have one, that kind of stuff, and all that is stuff that needs to be done uh, before the event even begins. I mean, there's a lot of work, and I'm not even doing the. I mean, the, the head judge does a lot more than even that. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of work that goes in during the event. And then at the event itself, the judge manager may or may not actually be there as a judge. Okay, you're more of an admin type staff uh-huh. person. And you're basically running around, uh, making sure the judges get their stipends, making sure they get their foils, guarding the foils, uh, taking care of making sure the head judge gets what he needs. Uh, at Orlando, it was Band-Aids was the most requested thing I did not foresee because the paper cutters 
were claiming casualties left and right. What? <laughs> it, I think it was Todd Palmer. We actually had a judge who, yeah. at the last minute, like chopped off the top of his finger on a paper cutter uh, at Armada Games in Tampa, and he's like, I have to get stitches. Uh, I'm on the deck checks team. I'm in a lot of pain. I don't think I'm going to be able to come. And, you know, we had to, you know, scramble, are we going to replace him? Are we not? And then all these people just started sympathy cutting themselves with the paper cutter. Oh, that's nice. Well, yeah, sure. Nice sign of solidarity. Yeah, solidarity, yeah. Solidarity, you know, you hurt yourself, we're going to hurt ourselves. But, yeah, I got a ton of requests for Band-Aids. So I've already bought Band-Aids for Atlanta. Well, you're on the ball. Why didn't you just buy a better paper cutter? Because, man, counterpoint. Don't don't be coming to me with any of that logic stuff. <laughs> it sounds like the problem here isn't the lack of band-aids. Well, it was the paper cutter was one of those guillotine paper cutters. Yeah. Yeah. Which those are those those kind of worry me a little bit. Yeah, those are dangerous. Yeah. Who supplies so, the paper cutter? Is it the uh, TO? The so, TO. So the ones in Atlanta will be the same ones that were at Orlando? Yes, stained okay. with the blood of <laughs> judges from GP Orlando. These paper cutters are stained with the blood of judges that came before you. Yeah. I, may, I may actually have a note to the TO to get better paper cutters for Atlanta. But Well, maybe know, he listens to the podcast. Just just if, if, you, if you're applying for Atlanta, just make sure to put on the application any team but the paper team. Oh. I value my fingers. So you deal with you deal with room problems uh, at Orlando. We have the interesting uh, situation of the uh, judge break room being behind a locked door. So I was the the keeper of the key and had to be where people could find me to get the key. And then I had to fuss at people when they didn't lock the door back. Did, do you ever have situations with rooms where you have judge couples that both get sponsorship and they want to room together? Uh, that would be fine. The no, that didn't. <laughs> it hasn't come up, but if it, it happened. It happened on the admin staff, but that's not okay. that's not really handled by me. But if you know, I'm, I'm trying to think. Like none of none of the uh, uh, the only judge that was that that could have been remotely close to situation with would be like Kali yeah, Anderson, Kali. but right. but her husband's not a judge, so he is. He's a level one judge. Oh, is he? Yes. Well, he didn't staff for the event. No, he didn't apply. No, he did not apply. So um, you staff, but, but that would be I mean, together. If if so, if he did apply and he did staff and they wanted to room together, sure, whatever. You know, we're we're adults, right? Most of us, in chronological, chronologically speaking. Yeah, I got into that argument with my sister. She just turned eighteen, actually, and she was like, oh, "I'm an adult now." I'm like, "No, you're not." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Brian Pillman, you remember when you were 18 in 1922? Really? Thank you. That's actually kinder than the n- normal old jokes I get from you. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, it's like, hey, Brian, uh, how do you f- how'd you feel about prohibition? I don't know. You remember back when the pyramids were built? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I told funny. the judge. I told the other judge recently that uh, I asked him how the IPG looked before they invented fire. Uh, if there was a <laughs> stone tablets. Yeah. Oh, little aside. At the end of last episode, 
Uh, Sean talked about giving, you know, the the failed attempt to give Judge Cast over to the Florida Judge guys, <laughs> and and yeah. how it was like probably wise that it didn't stick because it would have been all you know uh, uh, obscenity jokes. And I called him up and I was just like, dude, why are you saying that? That's not cool. And he goes, I'm quoting you, Brian. And I was like, <laughs> oh. You're right. Fair point. Carry on. Never mind. I, I yeah. We actually we actually asked if he wanted us to edit that out because yes. we thought maybe that would be not appropriate. And uh, and he was like, "No, I'll leave it in there." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." It actually. So the Florida guys, we actually recorded an episode of of Judge Cast with the whole uh, when the IPG came out in in the end of December, and we were like, "Okay, so we're gonna get Sean on." And we're gonna do the handing over the baton. We're gonna talk about the new IPG changes and that kind of thing. And Sean got delayed and he wasn't able to come on, so we just kind of like kind of spread things out. And then we ultimately we decided we were gonna cut it in half and we were gonna talk about that whole, you know, optional ability thing later, like the next night. Uh, we were we were gonna pick that up and then the next night comes around and they've actually made an announcement where it's like, hey, we're going to be making some changes to the to the optional ability thing. Stay, stay tuned, true believers. And we were like, okay. So we put it on pause. And then like a week, week and a half later, it's like uh, redacted, didn't happen, never mind. And it was like, well, what are we going to do with this, this podcast? And we just lost all the momentum. Plus, I had a four-hour podcast. I ended up having to cut out two hours because – as Sean predicted, there was a lot of inappropriate jokes that had to be had to be cut out. Yeah, about two over two hours worth of just no. Yeah, that seems like a lot of work to cut a lot of stuff out. Actually, you know, it is. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, that's that's a great ruling, but we can't use it because of the obscenities it's laced with. <laughs> well, it wasn't, it wasn't it wasn't so much it wasn't so much that it was, it was we just started talking about judge related things and then segued into local community stuff where we just started no longer podcasting but just conversing. Uh, I, I right. like to imagine like family sitting around an old timey radio. I'm sure you remember these from your youth, Brian. Uh, listening to Judge Cast. <laughs> Nice. And so that's why we really want to keep it family friendly, friendly, so everyone friendly. can listen to it. You know what? Talking family. is hard. Talking is hard. I've been sick. I'm doing the best I can. I just woke up. I just woke up. Whatever. Woke up. So, did you have anything else you wanted to say about being a judge manager? It's awesome. Is it? No. I mean, you get well, it. I mean, yes and no. The, the 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 best part, the best part of being a judge manager, is telling people they got accepted. And them getting all excited and them getting happy. The worst part of being a judge manager is telling people that they didn't get accepted and having them be all bummed and depressed. So it's it's kind of like that, you know, nine weeks before the event is actually both your best and worst moment of the event. So it's probably hard trying to um, not look biased too, which I, I feel like you did a good job. Like I guess someone could say, Hey, there's a lot of Florida judges at GP Orlando, but it was GP Orlando. There's, there's, I mean, yeah, there, there is a, we worked out before the event, we worked out the percentage ratios that we wanted based on, you know, because GPs now are, you know, there's more GPs. They're going to be more, I say more local, you are going to have a higher percentage of the the staff being from the area that the GP is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was it was a good mix, and I paid a, a lot of attention 
to the mix because there were previous GPs where the the ratio of judges in that region seemed a little off kilter, out of whack, maybe a little higher than than preferred. Mm-hmm. So I paid a lot of attention to Orlando to kind of rein that back in. And I mean, I I almost could have staffed the entire event with just judges from the state of Florida. Yeah. I wouldn't have had the level requirements, but I, I, I would have had the bodies. Yeah. So I, I know we've had that problem uh, out here in California with GP San Diego last year, and we're probably going to have a similar problem with GPLA, where we could staff the entire GP with just judges from California and meet all the level requirements, but they're not going to do that. Uh, and so there, there are a lot of judges in California that tend to get upset when they don't get into the California GP, and that's going to be awkward for for the judge manager there. And and you know it's it, yeah, and that's that's kind of one of the the hard things because it immediately it immediately turns into why doesn't you know why doesn't so and so like me? Am I not good enough? Like it's right. it's easy it's easy to turn it into that. And what you what you have to you have to realize is. There's a lot of other factors. Like, it might actually be, I mean, it might be as done three GPs recently, this guy hasn't. I'm going to give him the nod mm-hmm. over this other guy simply because uh, he he needs to get more, he needs to get more uh, experience. And this guy, you know, if if going to the GP is a, you know, if, if getting accepted to the GP is considered a reward, you don't want to reward the same people over and over and over again for the same thing. It's like, got it, great. You know, I get it. You're good, but yeah. at the same, but, at, but at the same time, you want the you want good people to staff your event. So it's this it's this balanced dance that you have to that you have to pay attention to. Uh, so it's a lot like that Cirque du Soleil meets Michael Jackson. Thing. It is a lot yeah. like, it is a lot <laughs> like it's identical. It is, yeah, it's figuratively speaking. And, and you know, uh, these days. Um, I feel like GPs are turning down like half the applicants at this point. Like there's just so many people applying. We had we had almost twice the applications that we needed uh yeah. Orlando. So that means I, I was I was turning down about for every judge I accepted I was turning down a judge. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we is this dead horse beaten enough? Yeah, do you guys have anything else is. you want to add? No, I got I got nothing else I want to add to that. Sounds oh, good. I have I have one more thing. Go. Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox. Raven Fox. <laughs> hey. Someday I'm going to have to meet Raven Fox. So Raven Fox, if you're out there, I'm going to meet you at an event someday. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> not, as he not as he doesn't want it to happen. <laughs> yeah. And he's going to be like, oh, oh, Jess Dunks is going to that event. I'm not going anymore. <laughs> uh, so speaking of GPs. I'm going to trick him. I'm going to play in one of his events. That way I won't be on a staff <laughs> list first. And I'll get to go meet him. Raven Fox doesn't <laughs> listen to us. He doesn't have time for that. <laughs> Speaking of GPs, you segue ruiner. Uh, I went to GP Nashville this past weekend. And I feel like uh, a lot of times maybe prospective judges or maybe newer judges who haven't been to a GP yet or even a PTQ sometimes. Uh, yes, Raven Fox was at GP Nashville. I don't know why you asked me that in chat and didn't just say it. Well, I didn't want to interrupt you because you were saying it's like, oh, you segue ruiner, and I was well, like, already ruined. You, you know, like, CJ gets bad when you interrupt him, but I just do it anyway. Yeah, uh, oh, I did it in chat, so I wouldn't have to interrupt you, and yet you still interrupted yourself. Well, when I stopped the read, I interrupt anyway. 
I feel like these new judges, even even if you're like a brand new level zero and you're going to a PTQ, I think sometimes you might get the impression from other judges, if you hang around other judges, that all the rules questions are these super tough questions or that we deal with super tough situations all the time. Because we like to generally discuss the – no, I can't read and talk at the same time. <laughs> I, read, I read your statement and totally lost my – my train of thought. We like to, you, you know, you could actually close the little chat box. No. Or, uh, the now. I, judges like to bring up the most, like, interesting rulings or the more difficult okay. things, but a lot of a GP is uh, just very basic stuff. So I tried to take notes of my three days at the uh, GP, and I wanted to go over them. Real Well, as quickly as I can. I wrote down every ruling I made and then wrote down everything else I did uh, to give – Somebody who's never been to a GP, an impression of, of what it's like. Um, now, this is just going to be me talking for a while, so you guys feel free to jump in whenever you want. We can make this a, uh, a chatter cast, as Brian Perlman is typing right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I've been, to, I've been to some GPs as both a player and a judge, and, and I might have some stuff to throw in and yeah. get on set. Yeah, just please once, just jump right once in. Once upon a time, so, there, was, <laughs> there was the GP came to town. Well, and after that, we'll ask Brian what uh, Magic was like before GPs. <laughs> well, I played back in the day with little Ricky Garfield. We put our black lotuses in the spokes of our bicycles because they made a nice clatter-clatter sound as you rode by. Of course you did. Yeah. So I was not – I made – I corrected my mistake from Orlando, and I did not sign up to do grinders. It's not that doing grinders is awful or anything. It's actually kind of fun, but uh, I just did not want to – uh, have to get there that early on Friday. I wanted to be able to drive up after lunch on Friday. So, and I live close enough to where it's a four-hour drive away. So my GP started uh, pretty poorly because I was about five miles away from my house when a stupid little engine light came on in my car. And uh, I had to go to three different places before someone could finally tell me that the issue was I was just low on oil and I had an oil leak. It was, I was so, what's the judge cast friendly word, upset um, so that's a very judge cast friendly word, sir. Upset. Yes, upset. Yes, missed, missed, That that set me back two hours. Uh, so by the time I finally did arrive in Nashville, uh, I went straight to the event hall because uh, Sean Copeland wanted me to help him. He's a Florida judge. Uh, he wanted me to help him pick up some of these underage girls that are at the. They were having proms in the venue, in the Nashville venue, and uh, so I went straight there to try to help him out. What? What? I didn't what? Say any of that? So, so immediately upon arriving in the venue, and by the way, Copeland didn't really do any of that stuff. I was making that up. Uh, I get roped into a judge draft because the tournament organizer was kind enough to offer us a free judge draft for anyone who wanted. And I went in there, drafted some blue white deck. I, it was fine, but I'm pretty bad at magic, and other judges were quick to pass <laughs> out. Uh, but it didn't matter. Wait, wait, wait. So you're bad enough at magic that other judges were telling you you were bad at magic? Yes. Wow. <laughs> probably. Like, if it had been in a sanctioned event, I probably would have had at least two GRVs in there. I don't know what these new cards do. I end up uh, actually taking down the whole event because everyone else can, once again, what's a judge cast friendly way to say this? Deal with it? <laughs> wow. And it, afterwards, everybody's all, oh, you know, I totally lost because my deck did this, 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 you know, like... No one was ever like, hey, this CJ, he's just the best drafter in the world, and that's why he won. Everyone's like, oh, no, this is my reason why I lost, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, after that, uh, this event 
was was having a uh, one of these sleep in specials that I guess GPs are doing very regularly now. Uh, basically, what these are is if you are a player with buys, you can pay some extra money and you can you can miss the rounds where you had buys, and you can also miss the player meeting. Yeah, I'm kind of yeah. hoping Salt Lake does that because because I'm going as a player, so I want to well, sleep in. Yeah. I like I really like that idea, like the the whole sleep in special from a from a customer service standpoint. Yeah, as a player it's great, but as a judge, somebody has to pre register a bunch of pools for the sleep in schedule because this was a limited GP and somebody has to sit there and register just pool after pool after pool. And uh nobody I, was really I think for Austin they actually and maybe you guys have like forums and comments and stuff like that, right? I I think for Austin they actually had the players they still did their opening of and registering of their sealed pools they just did it with the people who showed up late you know like yeah like you showed up an hour yes. late and you did your stuff with those guys so you didn't actually have to do any pre-registering the night yeah, before yeah so oh. for for Grand Prix Austin they had people show up you know an hour later with one buy and two hours later with two buys three hours later and then they actually did their own deck registration at that point. They didn't have the judges do it. Hmm. Well, here they actually just pre-registered a bunch of pools, uh, which is, you know, it does make it a little bit it faster. It sounds like a, you know, a giant pain. Yes, it's uh, a giant pain. But uh, it makes it faster for the players, so that's probably it a good does. thing. It uh, does. You know, yeah. I, I think the sleep in special is a little awkward since we're on the topic um, because, like, these players are not hearing the same head judge announcements that the original players heard. So it could be that they miss out on something, you know. You know, what if I forget to mention that it's a zero and ten tardiness policy? You don't know it's zero and ten tardiness policy because you weren't there at the beginning. I would Well the 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 MTRPG policy on that is pretty clear that it's zero and ten unless there's an exception. That makes yeah. sense. And normal and normally these the the head judges are you know fours and fives they're probably gonna I mean they've got their laundry list of of things that they want to go over and they have their notes with them it's it's probably the same thing you know and I think I think it's I think it's almost all upside mm-hmm. I mean it's it's not it's not for the 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 people that have to do more work but yet we're paid you know paid uh, uh, regardless of whether or not we're uh, of what we're doing so. Well, see, that's the other thing I was going to bring up is, you know, all of us that help pre-register these pools, none of us were signed up for grinders or signed up to work Friday in any way. What do you guys think about that? It seems like, I don't know, there was some discussion about that. Like, one judge outright just said, no, I'm not going to do this. Um, to me, I feel like, mm, you know, I, I like to help out with the event. I'm here anyway. I wasn't going to do anything else. But I, I can totally understand it being a little awkward to be like, hey, you didn't say you'd work Friday, but here's some work we're going to put you to. Well, are they getting compensated for Friday? No. I mean, as a judge, if 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 you ask me to do work on Friday, like significant work, if you ask me, oh, pick up some trash or take some chairs, or whatever, I probably don't have a problem with that. Right. But if you ask me to sit down for several hours and do work, yeah, yeah, uh, a few I, I'm going to ask, that. are we getting are we getting compensated for this for this time? And if you tell me no, I'm going to say that's nice. I'm going to go out and have dinner or something. Yeah. Right. It also it also differs on on who's helping or who's asking. Like, mm-hmm. for for example, let's let's say okay, CJ and I have known each other for a while. We're bros, and if I went to a GP and he was working and he was like, "Man, I got this huge list of things I gotta go for. I'm not gonna get out of here until 1 a.m. I could really use some help." Right. Then then That's I'm gonna good. sit I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna help him. 
and it's going to be it's going. But if I'm kind of milling around doing a draft or whatever, and the TO comes up and is like, "Hey, you go do X," then I'm probably going to say, "Like, you know, if X is a large thing, you go work for three hours, do this." Yeah, it's like. You know, the, you, you might say something you can't repeat on Judgecast. No, uh, no, <laughs> no. I'll just, uh, I mean, realistically, I was like, am I on staff now? You know, might right. be the, the, the question that I ask or something to that, to that effect. If it's, can you go help, you know, John Alderfer set up the GP kit? Well, sure. Actually, I kind of enjoy that. So sure, whatever. Yeah, I'll I, I enjoy any time with John Alderfer. I'll just be like, yeah, whatever you want. I know. He has, he has the most, you know, distinguished beard. Of anyone this side of James Bennett. It really is just marvelous. Yeah, and in this situation, I didn't feel too weird about it because I had just gotten a draft, so I kind of felt like, you know, it evens out. Well, that's cool. I got a free draft. But I it, there was some discussion that day, so I thought I'd brought, bring it up. So that's all I did that day. I'm not one of those so judges. Don't, oh. Lesson learned. Um, a lot of judges have... And this shows up at events where, you know, it's like, hey, have you sat down recently? Have you drank water recently? There's this Superman mentality. I can do everything. Mm-hmm. This is, in, in my opinion at least, this this is also another example where that Superman mentality might show up. I'm super judge. I can do everything. And if, if that's kind of the way you want to roll, then sure, go in and help and do that. But like if I've made plans to, like, you know, go hang out with some friends and stuff like that, then on Friday night, then I'm probably not going to sit down for a few hours and help without it, some form of something. Yeah, and like previously mentioned, Super Judge John Oliver was there all day just helping in it, because that's just what John Oliver does. But Yeah, don't, don't, be, don't be scared. People, people aren't going to think bad of you or think that you're a bad judge because you say no. Well, see, or, some people... Or if they do, if they do, then now I'm going to say something that I can't say on Judge Cast, you know? Yeah. You know, we're volunteers, and volunteers should be able to control how much they volunteer. Yeah, yeah, because that's what I was saying. One guy did say no, and, and I feel like a couple people did think it was kind of weird that he said no, but I'm like, well... But I think the majority thought was, well, that's fine. He's uncompensated. He can do what he wants. But I'm not, like I was saying, I'm not one of those judges who stays up late playing EDH. I don't actually play EDH with judges very much because I slow them down because I don't know what they're doing. And they all have foiled Japanese nonsense, and I don't know what any of it does. But I'm not one of those guys who does that all night. So I went to bed after that. So Saturday morning, we had to get there bright and early, I believe at 7.45. We had a judge meeting with the head judge where he had, that was Jeff Morrow for GP Nashville. He had us... Stand up and introduce ourselves for everybody uh, so that you could promptly forget who everyone else was, which I did. But luckily, at this point, I know a lot of judges already. Oh, what? What? I'm not paying attention to who my fellow judges are. I forget them the second they sit down. Yeah. You know, a lot okay. of times, <laughs> sure. a lot of times uh, there, there are a lot of judges uh, at, the, at the event to remember. But you want to at least remember the people on your team, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, that's actually right after the head judge meeting where Jeff asked, you know, told us what he kind of expected from us and, and what his specific rules were. Like, for example, he had a uh, rule where, you know, in most events, if you're on like a PTQ or something, if you need to back up the game state or downgrade a penalty or give a game loss, uh, you have to go to the head judge. But Jeff said it was fine to go to any level three that was in attendance for something like that. So after that, big group judge meeting, we went off to our individual team lead meetings, and uh, for this one, I was on deck checks, and my team lead was Dan Stevens, who is 
another great judge and also a regional coordinator. And we just had a little sit down about what he specifically expected out of deck checks. There were three deck check teams. Um, I don't remember which one I was on, like deck checks two or something. Dan Stevens called it Team Awesome, which I think is fair. After that... Deck checking sealed decks sounds like so much fun. Uh, luckily, he told us the best thing ever, which was we only have to count the 40. We didn't have to count the sideboard. <laughs> Which was very kind, because there were so many players, so we couldn't get through all of them uh, this time. Right. But doesn't mean, for any players listening out there, it doesn't mean you can get away with cheating. Sometimes we do count the whole list, and it is not fun, but, you know, something we have to do. After that, we, when the event got started, we all helped collect the uh, deck list. And during round one, this is something specifically that deck check teams do, is we all sat down and counted out all of the deck lists. Basically making sure that they'd registered 40 cards at least 40 cards that they had uh, registered their lands, that their name was on it, you know, just checking all that kind of stuff. And basically that lasts all throughout round one, that you don't have much time to do anything else. I think by the time we were done with that, there was about six minutes left in the clock, just because there's so many lists to count. Did you guys have more than expected? Uh, was your attendance higher than expected? I don't know. I think it was right around expected. It was something like uh, 1,050. Which okay. I, I personally was expecting a little higher for a sealed GP, but that's what it was. At the start of round two for the deck list team, deck checks team, basically what you'll do is you'll go handle the deck, deck list problems that you find during that initial counting of the list. So that's what we did at the start of round two. So what I personally did was I went out and handled two deckless, deckless, deck deckless problems. I remember there were 18 people on all the deck check teams combined, and there were 36 deck problems. So that worked out pretty well that we all handled two of them. The first thing, the first one had an issue where it only had 39 cards on it. Easy enough fix. We just looked through his deck, figured out what card he forgot to register, which was the case this time, um, and we changed the list to match match the deck. He got a game loss. Same very basic thing. Uh, the second list had some cards marked off, like someone had started registering cards in the total column, but then scribbled them out. But it was very unclear where they were scribbled out and where they were supposed to be marks. In talking with this guy, he told me that the guy who registered the pool had marked them on, marked them in the wrong column and then scribbled them out. And the guy uh, who now had the deck said that he called a judge over and the judge said that the list was okay. Like, there was no issue there. But things the judge didn't do was he did not mark in red anywhere on that sheet, and he did not initial it anywhere. So I wanted to let judges know out there that if you say something is okay on a deck list, uh, particularly at a GP, please go ahead and put your initials there or something. That way we could have avoided this whole this whole uh, me needing to pull aside a, this guy aside It could have uh, and give him the extension if, if I had just known up front that this list was okay. After handling all the um, deck deckless problems, the next thing we we do is we just go out on the floor for round two. Uh, the team lead, Dan Stevens, had not asked for any mid-round deck checks, so we just went on out there. And that's where I got my first ruling. For some reason, I got a lot of a lot of my um, most interesting rulings up front, so it only gets boring after this. You, you actually that that actually tends to happen, yeah. Just be, just because. The I, I guess it's a lot of time. It's it's the first time a lot of decks collide, or players who are piloting those decks collide. So yeah, that makes sense. Know, it creates a lot of interactions that players might not be. You know, it's like wait a second, what happens? Or they they haven't played the deck. They just got the list from a buddy or something like that. Mm-hmm. So so round round one, round two uh, tend to be really busy in terms of calls. And actually, the last one 
tends to be interesting also because a lot of people are trying to squeak in that win or yeah. My very first call of the day was player A had a Fraven Sentry who is at two two vigilance and he has the ability uh, whenever another creature you control dies you may transform Fraven Sentry. Uh, the Sentry was attacking. His opponent killed one of player A's one one tokens, and the question that was asked to me literally was, "Will Thraven Sentry transform?" Now I felt like that question was a little awkward to answer because Thraven Sentry is a May. He has a May ability. The question of will he transform, I don't feel like I can answer that straight up without giving strategic advice. I can't be like, well, it's actually a May trigger, so that's your choice. So what I did say was, I just said, if that creature dies, Thraven Sentry will trigger. That's how I answered that, and then I just hung around the table to make sure everything happened as they wanted it. And the guy transformed him. I wasn't sure if he wanted to or not, but that would have been strategic advice. Some, sometimes you can actually just read them the card text back. Yeah, that's what I would have done there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I would have just said, what, you know, whatever, whatever a creature you, dies, you may transform Thraven Sentry, and then you, you may transform. Yeah, and then, and and you actually get a lot of, oh, okay, yeah. So I <laughs> all right, all right. He's reading his tech. <laughs> all right, then I was reading all these chats. You guys have been, you guys are just being best friends over here while I'm chattering away. Oh, we're just we're discussing. You're just and, talking, yeah, sure. The next one I thought was a pretty interesting one, actually. Uh, it's a very basic question, but uh, Player A had a uh, Thalia Garden of Thraven, uh, which basically says non-creature spells cost one more to cast. At some point, she cast Bonds of Faith. At some point during this turn, she cast Bonds of Faith on one of her own, uh, one of her own creatures, but didn't pay the extra one mana for the spell. Uh, she then attacked with two creatures... And uh, they went through damage and all that. After that, she went to cast another spell. And at this time, player A... And she didn't pay extra for that one either. And at this time, player A was like, well, wait, she never played it, paid extra for that first spell either. So I felt like this was a pretty cut-and-dry case where we could go ahead and rewind back to where she cast the first Bonds of Faith and give her a game rule violation. So I went to my team lead, asked, hey, is this okay to rewind? He said, it's fine. I think the only interesting thing about this is uh, after that, she cast the Bonds of Faith on a different creature, on her opponent's creature, uh, effectively making it a pacifism. I thought I thought it was interesting, you know, that in this situation, she was given a little bit of extra time to think about that play and was able to change what she did, which is perfectly legal because we rewound to where she cast the Bonds. But still well, seems- you, said, you said she cast a second spell? And didn't pay for it also? Correct. Yeah, she may not have been able to afford both and realize that it was a different line of play that was better because she couldn't afford both. Spells. Right. Yeah, I just think it's interesting that because of my ruling, she was able to do something different. Right. With the bond. Yeah. But, but that's perfect. Well, I mean, when you, when, you rewind, when you rewind the game state, it's, you know, it's rewound, play on from where you are. You know, yep. occasionally information is gained, and that is something well, that Take into account when we make the decision uh, of whether or not to rewind, like how much information has been changed or can be well, changed. Well, I know s- some judges may want to uh, rewind a little differently. Is is it something they could do to rewind to the point where uh, Bonds of Aes had already been cast and just make the person pay one extra? That, uh, I don't think so. I think no. you have to rewind the whole action. Um, I'd have to look up the actual. What, you like you like argue argue the fact that. Well, they declared a legal target, so the real error was in paying the costs to cast the spell, so that's the point you're going to rewind to? That's, I'm, I'm that's kind of playing devil's advocate here. What if, you get, what if you're at the point where it's like, oh, well, they don't have the one to pay for, you know? Yeah, exactly. 
So yeah, that's 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 where my next. Yeah, that's what I would say to that. But I was just kind of playing devil's advocate there and asking, why didn't you do that? Yeah. Devil's Advocate, new card in Avacyn Restored. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's the one with the 12 rulings. Oh, I bet it is. It is. It um, is. <laughs> whatever the one with 12 rulings is, that's going to be called Devil's Advocate. That's that Devil's one. Advocate. It's the, maybe they'll try to throw in a 13th ruling just to stay on theme Ooh. with uh, Innistrad. Nice. So, <laughs> the last banter cast ruling <laughs> I, I grabbed. I, I liked the banter in the original Judge cast. I, I know... Cat just hated it, but I liked it a lot. Although, after being on a show, that first show with them, and talking with them for like four hours, and it ended up being an hour and a half judge cast, I can see where the banter could be a problem. But anyway, the last ruling I made in round two was that a guy had uh, that Skurzdag Flayer. Uh, this is the first time I've had to pronounce a lot of these cards. And it's that card that says three and a black, tap, sacrifice a human, destroy target creature. And the Flayer himself is also human. Uh, the question was basically, can I sacrifice the flayer to himself? And the answer is yes. Uh, what? Where I don't sacrificing himself. That's I don't think this is crazy talk. I don't think this is the show to go through all the steps of casting a spell. Actually, a past judge cast. No, we're not going to go through. Has that? Uh, I believe it's called slow yeah, lightning. No, I think, I think. Is that right? Yeah, I don't know if they actually specifically address that, but I think they do. I think they go through all the steps of casting a spell. So someone else can go listen to that. That's that's not the purpose of this chatter. In round three, somehow a deck decklist problem had slipped through from round two. One of the uh, ones from when we were counting lists. I'm not. I was never too clear on how this happened. I I initially thought it was one of the players with buys, but it wasn't. So I'm not sure where it came from. But basically, the player registered 39 cards. So I pulled them aside. Uh, had a look at his deck, and it turns out he was actually playing 41 cards. So we just added the two cards that he had failed to register. Uh, that one's a little interesting, because if he'd registered 40 cards but was playing 41, we never would have caught it without a uh, deck check. So who who um, who um found the problem, or how was the problem discovered? It was just found while counting the lists. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not Weird. sure where it came from, why it wasn't handled in round two, but... Whatever. Uh, moral of the story, judges do occasionally make mistakes where we're not perfect. No. Well, that reminds me a little bit of... Jess uh, is. Yes. CJ, obviously not. No. I, I, well, yeah, I'm, I'm completely perfect. No, I'm really not at all. <laughs> I make lots of mistakes. But in uh, <clears throat> in San Diego, they uh, which was also a sealed event, they had one player who registered only five packs and another player that registered seven. Weird. And uh, it wasn't caught until like round five, and this and the guy with seven packs was like five out. Yeah, I remember that. Didn't they? What remove cards that like they removed a uh, random? Uh, pack. Yeah, I, I, I'm hesitant to discuss exactly <laughs> how they fixed this. And Scott Marshall was very clear that this is not you know an official answer to how to fix this. It was just how they fixed it at the time. Yeah, but yeah, they they removed some cards and and made it a, a correct pool, but. It was just awkward. I, I really felt bad for the guy that only got five packs. You know, that's yeah. How does that happen and you not notice? Yeah. And now on these uh, deck lists this time, they had a little checklist at the back, and part of the checklist, you know, said I counted that my deck is at least forty cards, and I counted that my entire pool is eighty-four cards. So that was kind of nice. You know, it doesn't mean that players are going to pay attention to them, but at least it was something where to that, try to cut down on that. That was at Madrid. They had the same checklist. Okay. And the most common thing I did during the lists was basically get the list, 
flip it over because they actually let they let the players whenever they completed their list just hand it to you you know hand it to a random judge and then get up from their spot their seat. Yeah, I I would say probably ninety percent of the list that I collected I turned I flipped it over and handed it right back to the player and you know pointed pointed to the uh, to the checklist asked them to go through that. Yeah. When I had time, at the end of round, at the you know, at the end of time, I was just like, gimme, 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 gimme. Oh wow, you just Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox. Uh, you just may remember at the end of uh, deck construction, a guy hadn't finished registering his pool, and it was like five minutes after. And uh, this was the first time ever that I had to give tardiness for something that wasn't being late to your seat. I gave right. this, I had to give this guy a tardiness game loss, and then round three. After that, we went on break. Uh, you might notice a little pattern here for. For a deck checks team, we haven't done I haven't done a single deck check yet, which seems really odd. But round one, round two are usually handled handling uh, deck list problems, and then round three I was on break, so that was all there was for that. But there was like three deck check teams, right? Yeah. You said there was eighteen people, yeah. so the other teams were out there doing yes. you know whatever. Okay. Yeah, on round three other teams were doing deck checks, but we I had not personally yet. Uh, at the start of round four, I finally did do my first random uh, deck check, which is where we just get a random table number and go deck check the guy. Uh, in this case, the poor guy had actually failed to de-sideboard, so I did catch that he had put a card in his deck that shouldn't be there. Um, and then also the poor guy was playing John Finkel, so Finkel got a nice little bonus there. Uh, I'm not sure if that guy won that match, but it seemed like a tough one to win. After that, we did a, a mid-round deck check. Brian Perlman, explain explain a mid-round to me. A mid-round deck check? Yeah. Okay. So normally the way you select a mid-round deck check, a uh, mid-round deck check is after you finish your beginning of round deck check, you go out on the floor probably with your buddy and you really are just looking for the first table to present. So you're looking for guys that are finishing up, shuffling up, and you kind of sit there and you watch how they, how they sideboard, how they shuffle, that kind of thing. And then when they present to their, their opponent, they swoop. The complexities of a mid-round deck check over a beginning-of-round deck check is they have sideboarded. So you have to preserve their sideboard choices. And in addition to the normal checks of, you know, the normal things you have to deal with, the things that you have is the sideboard sleeves are potentially uh, less marked. I guess I guess this is, this is the same for a beginning-of-round deck check, too. But... Um, now that the sideboard cards are intermixed with the deck, uh, you might be able to tell easier now if, uh, if sideboard cards are, are marked. Additionally, it's a little weird because, you know, when you get the deck list, you have your nice list of the deck, you have your nice, uh, little block where all the sideboard cards are, and those lists don't reflect reality necessarily anymore. So you kind of have to do a little bit of uh, finagling when you do the the deconstruction to keep them separate. Mm-hmm. And was that what you were looking for? Yeah, I just wanted to stop talking okay. for a minute. Oh, okay. I don't know. It was, you were like it was some sort of weird secret. You know, nope. you got to remember that when you do a mid round swoop to, you know, tussle the player's hair and tell yeah. him, you know, you'll be back in a few minutes, sport a little or something like that. that. They, they yeah, they. That. Wow, uh, wasn't going there. Give, give a cookie. Yeah, <laughs> you've been so. Congratulations, you've been selected for a mid-round deck check. Here, <laughs> have a cookie. Oh, okay. So yeah, I did a mid-round. There were no issues there. 
after that, I got called over to a table. Basically, the question was, I have a werewolf on its human side. You have a werewolf on its human side. I cast two spells this turn. How is this going to happen? What's going to happen during the upkeep? Uh, how, how do the triggers go on the stack? And it's the very basic, what we always say, active flare, non-active flare. So my werewolf trigger goes on the stack first. Yours goes on the stack second, meaning yours resolves first, and then mine resolves, transform my werewolf. Uh, a little bit more relevant with Huntmaster of the Fells, I guess. I was just going to say, Huntmaster makes makes everything more awkward when there's transform problems. Yeah, really. Because he actually has triggers when he transforms. Yeah. Round five. That was the end of my round four. Round five. I uh, My deck check buddy, we, we all had little buddies that were helping us because deck checking is generally a two-person job. You have one person who performs the swoop, and then the other person is usually fielding any judge calls or anything like that. Uh, to help to help make sure that first guy doesn't get distracted. But my buddy went off to um, be help out with coverage for a few minutes for this round. So I helped out with paper at the start of this round. Means I just helped out patch out pass out match slips and cut the match slips. I did not cut my finger though. Uh, but beyond that, I made no rulings during round five. Nobody called so me. You see, you, so you didn't join this display of solidarity that that the other judges had apparently of well, of cutting yourself with the paper machine. That was in Orlando, so I guess I guess it didn't happen in Nashville. Okay, well, I thought maybe it was a you know an epidemic that was going through the judge community, the need for band aids. Yeah, and then in round six, we did the start around deck check. No issues with these guys. Usually, it's very rare that you actually find an issue in a start around deck check. But you know, the whole point is to be looking out for cheating, and also to let everyone in the immediate area know you're looking out for cheating. Uh, after that, we took our team took another break. So all in all, not too difficult. The nice thing about deck checks is that you get to sit a lot when you're doing the actual check. It's, it's a nice little bonus. Sometimes people don't like deck checks, but I I, I kind of like it. I like the mini game it creates. Yeah. Because, well, because you, you never want an extension of more than, you know, eight, nine minutes. Right. Uh, so you're racing against the clock. You're racing against your teammate, really. Yeah. You know, so it creates two little mini games. Can you, can you beat your buddy? Can you beat the clock? Can you get back in time? Can you catch the cheater? Yeah. You know. And the way I perform these deck checks, I don't, I don't think I have a lot of experience doing, um, sealed deck checks, uh, but what I would do is I would take the the cards and I would sort out I would take out the lands and then I'd sort them by color and then I'd just go down the checklist and find the card you know that was listed on the checklist and set it aside and keep doing that till I was done. Do you guys have any different methods? Well, the first the first thing I'll do when I, whether it's constructed or sealed is uh, separate the lands out. Yeah. Uh, and just make sure those are right. And then beyond that, hopefully you can just separate it by color. You know, Scars of Mirrodin sealed events kind of made that a, a pain because there were so many artifacts. Oh, but, yeah. But in, in, in the Innistrad block, it's not so bad, and I usually just separate it by color. And then um, I, I do a lot of sealed events as a player, so I get a lot of experience with registering pools, and that's come in handy because I just tend to know what order things go in. And yeah. I can just lay it out and, and do it. You know, it's it's t- six or one half dozen of the other, really. Uh, you just sealed. Uh, there's not really a good format, too, I don't think. Brian, you, maybe you have uh, an age-old technique you could pass I, down here. I actually, um, every sealed event I have been on, I have, or actually like the last three or four, I've actually requested to be on the deck checks team because I have not done it, and I keep getting paper or logistics oh. or or side events. So uh I actually have not worked a deck tech team at a limited uh limited event. Yeah. 
Huh. Or us. Uh, yeah, so I have helped out a few times. Uh, there was, uh, I was, uh, head judge of a, of a sealed, uh, PTQ about a year, year and a half ago. And, and we had so many players that I had to help it. I, you know, I had to throw in and help count lists at the beginning. But I mean, I wasn't doing deck checks, so I don't have uh, really any tricks or tips. Yeah, the only really frustrating thing when you're doing deck checks, uh, and usually this happens more in constructed than limited, is Brian, you were talking about that what kind of mini game where you're racing against the other guy doing deck checks. Yep. And when you're constructed, sometimes you know you'll sit down and you're like, okay, this is the blue-white control deck, and it's got you know 15 different kinds of lands and and a bunch of two ofs and one ofs and stuff. And you're, you look over and your opponent's like, mono green elves. And, uh, and he's just got like, you know, 20 forests and a bunch of four ofs. And you're like, oh yeah, he's gonna get done before me. I, I can race that. I love winning the red deck wins lottery. Cause yeah. it's four, four, four. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. I had one, uh, rules call there. I think throughout the day you kinda get less and less rules calls. Just exactly like what Brian Perlman said, although near the end they may pick up. Also, I always call people by their first and last name. Like I just did, just did with Brian. It's all, it's all right, CJ Schrader. Yes, thank you. Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven, Raven Fox. Fox, Raven Fox. Basically, I have a bunch of bears, and Brian has a evil twin, which is basically a clone. If you don't know what it does, uh, I cast sudden disappearance, targeting Brian, and it sudden disappearance says exile all non-land permanent target player controls. Return the exiled cards to the battlefield under their owner's control at the beginning of the next instep. step. The question was. Can Brian's evil twin copy some of his own creatures when it comes back, or does it have to copy one of my creatures? And uh, the answer to that is basically pretty simple. Since evil twin copies something as it enters the battlefield, the creatures have to already be on the battlefield for it to copy them. Basically, he, Brian's only options here are he copies one of my creatures, or he chooses to copy nothing and gets a zero zero evil twin, which is not living very long. It's going to be real awkward if I got one of these rulings wrong, and you guys like call me out on it. What? Oh, I'm we sorry. will. Don't worry. We'll, we'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, even if you didn't, I'd get like 18 I'm emails. A... Round eight. I had a deck check with no problems. I had a Yay. question <laughs> about Warden of the Wall, which is uh, that weird artifact that becomes a creature if it is not your turn. Uh, if it's enchanted with Burden of Guilt, what happens to the Burden of Guilt when it is your turn? And the answer is, since Burden of Guilt is an enchant creature, state-based actions will remove it from the Warren of the Wall when the Warren of the Wall is not a creature. Uh, we had another uh, situation which was a little bit more interesting where a player had played an extra land. So both the player and the opponent agreed that he had played an extra land, which is good because if they disagree, that's where it gets really complicated. You have to start kind of looking at everything everyone's played up to that point. But they both agreed he played an extra land. The issue was they didn't know which land it was. So the guy had like four planes, an island, and a swamp out. And through just some very basic questions, we were able to get, go back that he'd gotten the swamp from an evolving wild, so we knew where that came from. And he said he cast that Nefalia Sea Kite, Sea Skite, Kite, something, uh, the previous turn, which cost three and a blue to cast. So we knew he had the island the previous turn, too. So basically, we were just like, well, return one of these planes. Uh, obviously, that's a rewind, so I did have to go to a level three to give me permission to do that, but very basic rewind with the game rule violation. After that, a player did ask me to watch a match for slow play. You see this happen more and more, particularly when you start to have like 15 minutes or less in the clock. And as long as you can <laughs> reason up, sit there and watch for slow play, it's, it's generally fine to do. Um, usually, though, you sitting there 
will make sure that no slow play actually happens because they're just going to play faster. Onwards to round nine. Uh, we did not do any deck checks in round nine because this time this is the final round of the day. So they had us all walk around and just listen for uh, collusion, listen for anyone offering anything for a win, offering um, to roll a die to decide who wins, anything like that. Didn't find any, but we were just all being on the lookout for that. After that, I got the... Uh, good old Warden of the Wall question again, the exact same question with uh, Burden of Guilt, same answer this time. And my final question of the day was, do you have that uh, 5-4 Trample? It's the other side of the Thraven Sentries, Thraven Militia. He is blocked by a Lantern Spirit, which says you may pay a blue, and then you could return Lantern Spirit to your hand. And then the player did that. He blocked the 5-4 Trample with a Lantern Spirit, and then returned it to his hand. And the question was, does the 5-4 still do damage? I told him, yes, it does still do damage. He disagreed with me. He felt that I was wrong, which is fine. You know, players can always feel, they can disagree. And, and I straight up said, all right, um, do you want me to go get the head judge? Would you like to appeal my ruling? And he did. And then the head judge came down and uh, heard my part of the situation, talked to the players, and basically agreed with my ruling because my ruling is correct as all my rulings are. Well, so here, here's a here's a question. I noticed you said that you said you offered you offered the player. Did you offer you you may appeal if you feel that my ruling is unfair. You may appeal. Like, did you offer it? Did you remind him that he had the right to appeal? Like, whenever <clears throat> whenever players look even a little uncomfortable with a ruling I make, I, I always go to straight. I, I always do this. I say, you know, blah blah blah. This is my ruling. If you would like to appeal it, you may. You know, I don't say that every single time I make a ruling, but every single time where it looks like they will be a little unsure of it, I go ahead and make that offer, and sometimes they take me up on it. I, um, go ahead. I don't like to uh, to volunteer that, especially at a GP, because the head judges are really busy. Uh-huh. You know, what I, what I like to do is, if somebody looks uncomfortable with a ruling that I made, I look at them and I ask, do you understand my ruling? Because yeah. sometimes it's a question of them not understanding the rule that relates to the situation. Uh, and that can be explained. And sometimes it's a matter of uh, that, that can stop an appeal. And sometimes they go, yeah, it's fine. And they just move on with the game. But offering to give them the appeal without trying to explain it first, I think that might end up giving the head judge a little more work. I explained my, my ruling, but right. yeah, they, they were just still unsure. In particular, the guy with the lantern spirit said that um, another judge had told him otherwise, and you know how that always is. That, oh, yeah. That's that always that, the other judge. Yeah. Find this guy named other judge. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> to let him have it. Turn, turns out he's actually in uh, he's in uh, DCI family. Other judge. Other judge. Oh, go, do a, go do a search. And it wasn't even like really? another judge. Yeah. Event. He's over, he's in, he's in Europe. He's, uh, like, um, Luxembourg or something like that. Is, is he a real judge or is like. No, I'm making it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, th- I thought maybe there was like a fake. You know, it's Uther, 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 You know what? While we're on the topic, we didn't even talk about it. He has this. lots of negative reviews, doesn't he? <laughs> always get something, always gets it wrong. Always wrong, this other judge. You know what, while we're on it, Jess and I had discussed a, a little contest, and, and I'll put it right here in the middle of my talk about GP Nashville, because uh, it's kind of related to this. I have a Judge Foil Goblin Welder that I will send out to whoever can give me the best other judge story. Other judge told me this, other judge told me that. And you know what? The story doesn't even have to be true. 
just whatever. Wow. Says, oh, I'm winning. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, I got can, it. I, can I enter my own contest here? That's yes, yes, you may. Uh, what okay, if, well, we're gonna. What if I ahead. tell? What if I tell a, a, a other judge story, and that other judge happens to be C.J. Schrader? Oh, Whoa. okay. So let's, you know what? Let's let's go ahead and put that out now. If you know who the other judge is, don't call them out in yeah. your story. Uh, <laughs> that so rarely actually happens, where the other judge is a real person. It's, I've got a few of those. I do have one. You know, one time I got an email from this other judge who was also a Nigerian prince, and all he needed uh, was my bank account information. Never mind. <laughs> so failed. I thought it was I got, funnier not to laugh at that one. I got crickets. <laughs> Maybe I'll uh, edit in some crickets for you there. Yeah, thanks. Okay. So... Yeah, that's that's the contest we're going to run. And unlike previous judge casts, we will actually send you the prize. I got a message from a uh, winner of the one of the original prizes, and he's like, "I never got Ricky's packs." And I'm like, "Sorry, dude." De- Deb actually also before she became a judge also won one of the prizes. Yeah, and never got it. Never. So yeah, we've heard some stories about that happening where uh, previous judge cast contests have not been paid out. We would like to, you know assure the listeners that that's definitely going to get taken care of. We are absolutely going to... Uh, and when he says taken care of? I mean, sent out to... Actual prizes will be sent out to the listeners that answer that, that, they get, that win the contest. Yeah. We don't have an end date on the contest. We'll see what it is next show. <laughs> so not the next episode from this, but the following episode will be our announcing the contest winner, and we'll probably announce a new contest at that point for our yep. listeners. Sounds good. All right, so let me breeze through day two right real quick because uh, we we need to wrap up the show and we still have the mailbag to get to. On day two, which is a a professional REL now, so we have to be more strict. Uh, I was team lead of paper. I'm not going to oh, go. Congratulations! With... Thank you. Team lead. Oh, oh, oh! Three checklist. What? Yeah, that's the, that's the one. I I still have to work on that one there. So yeah, it's tough to get a slot, but. <laughs> I, um, I'm not going to go into all the hardships of team leading uh, at a Grand Prix because that's not what this is about. I'm just going to go over the rulings I made real quick, and then we can move on to the mailbag. In round 10, and also as part of the team lead, being a team lead means I'm spending more time watching other people and uh, trying to handle team lead type stuff. So I made less rulings than normal. In round 10, I, I didn't write down any rulings. So if I made some, I totally forgot what they were. Uh, round 11... I had a question is, if you make a token copy of a creature with Undying, does it come back? And the answer is no. Basically, once a creature enter, uh, once a token leaves the battlefield, it, it isn't coming back, no matter what. I had a player flip over his opponent's top card while shuffling. The interesting thing here is the player did say that he didn't see the card. Like, he flipped it over and it fell on the ground. Uh, regardless, so I still felt like that's looking at extra cards. Uh, well, you know, even if they haven't had the opportunity to look at it, yeah. uh, the fact that it could have been seen means yes. that the penalty, the infraction has occurred and the penalty. Needs yeah, to be I agree. Yeah, I've I've had I've had some discussions with some other judges where it's like, well, if you think you saw it, give it to them, and if you don't, don't. And then others where it's like, if the potential is there where he could have seen it, you aren't necessarily, you know, he could just be a really good liar. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I was like, so, let's just give him the penalty. The next question is card uh, Blood Feud. It says target creature fights another target creature. And the question was, the question as it was straight up asked to me was, does it need two targets to resolve? Now, the answer to that question is no. With only one target, Blood Feud will resolve. Unfortunately, it won't do anything. So that's one of those things where I had to 
kind of I answered the question yeah, as it was asked because this is professional REL. You have to you have to ask the right questions. That was one of those things where I, I hung around to make sure everything happened correctly, which which it did, which I thought was odd. I, I don't know why they asked, um, but basically, fight doesn't do anything if if both creatures both creatures are no longer legal. Yeah, that's that's kind of a weird. Uh, a weird question. Yeah. In round 12, a player attacked with a rackish air, which says whenever a vampire you control deals combat damage to a player, put a plus one, plus one count on it. And another vampire. The air was blocked by, say, a hill giant and uh, and is going to die. And the question was, will the other vampire get, get a counter? And the answer to that is, you know, without any first strike shenanigans or anything like that, damage is all dealt simultaneously. So the other vampire did damage while the rockish air was uh, dealing its damage and taking its damage, meaning the other vampire did damage while Rakashair was still on the battlefield, so it triggers, and the other vampire will get a counter. Round. The next question I got was, if you have an Elder Cathar, which uh, puts counters on target creature when it dies, and then also an Elgod Inquisitor, which creates a 1-1 spirit token when it dies, both die at the same time, can you put the counter on the spirit? And there's no way to stack the, stack the triggers in such a way to make this happen, because you have to declare a target for... The Elder Cathar, the moment it dies, the moment its trigger is about to go on the stack, and at that time, the 1-1 uh, Spirit token does not yet exist. So you cannot do it. On round 13, I finally got a break, which this was like 2.30. I was exhausted. I'd been there since 7.30, but sometimes you just get the late break. That's the penalty of being a team lead. You just well, need to suck that up. My whole team got that penalty then. Well, that's your fault as team lead. Then it was, the, it was the only time it, trust me, it was the only time it worked. Horrible. Anyway. Horrible. I'm kidding. I don't think it's necessary. No, no, that. you've really hurt my feelings now, and I don't know if I can go on, but I will. Well, you, 14. you, you want 14. me to drop you from this call? I'm the one hosting it. No, you are push, the one hosting it. I can just push a button no. and... Leave me on. I'm the one recording. Can I... You know, to, to, due to technical difficulties, uh, CJ is not with us anymore, and uh, Brian and I will finish this. You don't have this the other two hours of recording. All right. <laughs> we, can, we can summarize it. G, GP Nashville stuff happened. Yeah, stuff happened. Okay. Round 14. Round 14. This one was actually interesting, <laughs> as opposed to all the other ones. Uh, <laughs> a, player A says, he says to his opponent, beginning of combat, and player B says, sure, has a pause, and then says, use burden of guilt to tap your creature. This is one of those difficult he says she says kinds of uh rulings because when he says sure does he mean sure let's go ahead and get into combat or is he saying sure we're in the beginning of combat my ruling was just from talking to the two players when he said beginning of combat and player b said sure what he meant was yes we're in beginning of combat now and i said use of the burden of guilt at this time is is legal however there was a little bit of a pause after he said sure and uh and i could tell this one was going to go straight to appeal anyway. Um, for these really, you know, these kinds of questions, they almost always get appealed because you could convince the head judge that the other it goes the other way. So I did get appealed. Jeff Morrow pulled aside each player, talked to them. Uh, in the end, you know, agreed that this ruling could go either way, but he decided to go ahead and uphold my ruling at the table at the time. What makes this ruling interesting, though, is five minutes later... Uh, he gets called to another table for appeal where player A had said combat and player B said, in this case, he said, go for it without, and then said, no, I want to use burden of guilt to tap your creature. In that case, the judge had ruled, no, it's too late to use burden of guilt because you're, um, you're That's now pretty emphatic, uh, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Well, there's also, there's also a difference between saying combat and saying beginning of combat. Yeah. There's, 
there's a, just a clear definition for what we mean when we say combat, but there's also a clear definition for what we mean when we say beginning of combat, because that's, you know, there's that step. Yeah, and and I totally agree. And uh, <laughs> I think, I just thought it was funny that these, these two rulings with opposite rulings are both upheld, because it's very similar. All right, so the final ruling I made in round 15 was an opponent had village cannibals, uh, which says whenever another human creature dies, put plus one, plus one counter on village cannibals. And I have a werewolf on its night side. See, werewolves on their day side are always humans, but on their night side, they are not. The question was, does the village cannibals, and my werewolf dies, uh, the question was, does the village cannibals get a counter? Because in the graveyard, it's it's face up. It's a human. And the uh, simple, quick answer is no. It does not get a counter because what we care about is what it was when it died. And at that time, it was a werewolf something. Whew. After that, we ended the day at a team lead debriefing where I told my team they did a great job, blah, blah, blah. Uh, head judge debriefing where the head judges told us that we all did a great job, blah, blah, blah. And after that, I made an ill-advised drive home because it was a little bit later to be driving than I should have because I didn't get home to like 140 and I don't drive well when I am tired. But that is the end of my GP Nashville weekend. I hope that helps some players see you can see, like, a lot of these rulings, most of them are not difficult by any means, uh, particularly because this is limited. But a lot of the rulings you get are just fake people asking questions. You very rarely are giving out penalties or anything like that. Okay, so get, your original point was you wanted to give a look into the uh, mundane aspects of yeah, judging, my, judging, as a, uh, judging a GP? My point is you shouldn't be, like, scared away by the kinds of things that judges normally discuss. Uh, you know, you shouldn't be like, oh, I don't know if I can handle a GP. Obviously, almost all of these are pretty simple. A lot of the questions you're going to get are the same type of questions you get at an FNM. It's just, yeah. it's just what you do to fix them is different. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and even then, the philosophies still hold in a lot of cases. And you're you're surrounded by other knowledgeable judges, so it's not like you can really make a mistake. If you can, you can if you if you are you can uncertain. make a mistake. Yes, you have you have safety nets if you choose to yes. use them. That's that's the phrase I was going to use. Is you have a safety net behind you, underneath you. Yes, yeah. Ryan, as the guest, do you want to give us a good judge cast high pitched mailbag sound here? Obscenity, obscenity, obscenity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure, I'd love to. <laughs> okay, mailbag. Good. How's that? Yeah, hey. I love it. I think it's way better than uh, Sean's last week. Yeah, Sean's was just a little weak, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, was it? It was like, yeah. Wow. That's what it sounded like. <laughs> it sounded like a cat getting run over. Yeah. By... Okay. All right. Our first question I'm going to go over the uh, rules questions, and then we got a couple of just regular emails. But uh, our first question is from Nick Rakowski. Uh, he's from Pleasant Hill, California. Apparently, yeah, they... I know that guy. Oh, okay. I think he's trolling us, but because <laughs> this question be. is not easy. Have, have you read it before, Jess? <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not sure if I read this question or not yet. Okay. Uh, uh, go ahead and shoot, though, and I'll tell you. Here it comes. I've seen it. All right. It says, I have Phyrexian on Life, which uh, says... Uh, that you don't lose the game for having zero or less life. And then it also says, um, ah, as long as you have zero or less life, all damage is dealt to you as though its source had infect. So, and then he says, I also have Platinum Angel, which doesn't seem relevant to this actual question, so let's just ignore it. And also he is at negative three life. His opponent plays Lightning Bolt. In response, he plays Angel's Grace. Let me read Angel's Grace. 
Interest grace is an instant with split second. It says you can't lose the game this turn, and your opponents can't win the game this turn. Until end of turn, damage that will reduce your life total to less than one reduces it to one instead. Okay, so he has practicing on life. He is he has if any damage would reduce his life total less than one, uh, it's reduced to one instead. And he asks, what is his life total after lightning bolt resolves? So before it resolves, it was negative three. Do you guys okay. take a shot? So his life total is negative three. Uh, he controls a Phyrexian on life, and uh, he plays Angel's Grace when there would be damage, right? Yep. That's the scenario? Okay. Well, the interesting thing about Phyrexian on life is that it makes damage sources because of an infect. Yep. Right? So it will give the player poison counters, but that isn't damage that would reduce their, their life total. Uh, so Angel's Grace will just not interact with the, the damage that has infect. Yes. Absolutely. Then that is it. Something tells me this didn't come up in an actual game. Probably. So, well, it might have come up in EDH. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, so, you know, Nick's that kind of player that he may have, you know, put together all these. Well, that kind of judge, actually. He's a, he's a, a judge that listens to judge cast. Yeah. And he may have uh, actually had this come up in an EDH game. Uh, but he may also be trolling us, which is fine. <laughs> we, we like questions, right? He, he wants to He wants to try to trick us, but we got him. We got him. So after that, giving him that answer, he comes back and he says, what if we don't have the Phyrexian on life? And I feel like this is where it gets really tricky. So all we have is the angel, the platinum angel, meaning we can't lose the game. And we're at negative three life. And uh, same situation. Our opponent lightning bolts us. And then in response, we cast Angel's Grace. Do you know what would happen there? Well, that one's really interesting because at first it looks like you just go, oh, well, I've been a gain life, but it's going to go up to one, right? Uh-huh. But that's... Strangely, not the way this works for some reason, and I'm actually not sure entirely how that works. But uh, I, I mean, I know I know what happens, but I'm actually not sure as to why. Yeah. But I know you will, you will not gain up to one life. You will actually be at whatever life total is correct, and Angel's Grace will not stop you from uh, losing that life. Yeah. And the reasoning is this: um, it says until end of turn, damage. It says damage that would reduce your life total to less than one. So you're already at less than one. So this mm-hmm. damage that's coming in is not damage that would reduce your life total to less than one. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah, but it's it's a little difficult to parse up front. To like when I first thought about it, I was like, oh, I'll just go up to one. But that's that's not the case. You actually will just go to negative six in this case. That's Nick's question. The next question comes from well, his name is. Are these, are these posted? Any of these questions posted anywhere that I can read? Nope. No, this is yeah. unfortunately these are in the uh, the judge cast mailbox. So uh, CJ's got them in front of him. Yeah, um, oh, cheatsies. But yeah, you just deal with it. When I was on, I had to deal with. I didn't know what they were talking about, and I just had to deal with it. All right. So the next question comes from a guy named Codename from the internet, I guess. Uh, and his question is: If I have an Elish Norn and a one one, which is now a three three in play, and my opponent plays an Elish Norn, basically what happens? He he says his one one would survive. His opponent says it dies. Well, it's, it's, okay, so... I thought you did. Oh, sure, I'll talk. So, I have, so for a, we, you have an Elish Norn and a 1-1, which is now gets the plus 2, plus 2. Uh, then the second Elish Norn is played by your opponent. So, there is a brief period of time where both Elish Norns are in the battlefield. Both of them have their abilities apply. Now, I'm doing Elish Norn from memory. Um, so... It is that that one one is getting both plus two plus two and minus two minus two yes. simultaneously. That uh, is correct. So it's it's going it's going uh, from one one 
you know, if you want to do it in order, it's going from like a, a one one to a a three three back down to a one one. Okay, then state base actions are checked. We have two legendary creatures with the same name on the battlefield. They explode each other and are put into the graveyard, uh, leaving your one one just kind of like staggering around. Wondering what just happened. <laughs> yeah, he he just witnessed a paradox in the space time continuum. Yeah, I was big, I was big, yeah. then I was little, then I was big, and then little again, and now I'm the same. Oh, yeah, and he tries to tell this story to other little soldier tokens yeah. later, and they're like, "Were you were, were you I high?" You know, I don't get it, man. It's like he became a giant and then also was shrunk. It, it just like a shrunk giant. <laughs> shrunk giant. Yeah, well, shrunk I, giant. So I have a question uh, yeah. that was posed to me uh, by. Uh, Michael Stone, who is a, a judge from Sunnyvale, California. Mm-hmm. And uh, his question was about uh, Huntmaster of the Wild and Threads of Disloyalty. Okay. <laughs> so do you know the card Threads of Disloyalty? What the, let me read that to you real Game quick. And it costs three or less. So it can only uh, enchant a creature with converted mana cost two or less. Okay. And it is a creature enchantment that costs one and two blue. And you gain control of the enchanted creature. You control enchanted creature. Okay. So it is enchanted creature with converted mana cost two or less. So what he's doing is he's enchanting the the transformed side, Ravager of the Fells, with Threads of Disloyalty. And then he, he casts that, he gains control of it, and his opponent casts two spells at the end of the turn. So Ravager of the Fells tries to transform during the upkeep. Uh, and there's, so there's the transform trigger there. If it transforms, it has the come and play effect where you gain two life and get a wolf token. And then there's threads of disloyalty not being able to, to enchant it anymore. So, so all of these things are together. What happens? Okay. So it's transforming into the hunt master, right? Right. It's transforming into the hunt master, okay. which does not have a converted mana cost two or less. Right. Uh, and then it's got, uh, what is it? There's probably a trigger that, I think there's a trigger that goes off when it transforms. Yeah, when it transforms, uh, the, con- its controller gains two life, and you put, they put a 2-2 wolf token into play. Okay, so it transforms, the trigger event happens, trigger hasn't been put on the stack yet, state-based actions are then checked, in which case we have a, uh, threads of disloyalty enchanting something that it can no longer enchant. Right. Uh, so it's going to fall off. Control is immediately going to revert back to the original player. And then what is it? Let's look at what the trigger... Uh, then the trigger is going to go on the stack. When the trigger goes on the stack... Let me look up that. Was it Huntmaster? What was it? Huntmaster of the yeah, Fells? Yeah, Huntmaster of the Fells. All right. Whenever this uh, creature enters the battlefield or transforms, put a 2-2 onto the battlefield and you gain two life. So the guy who... Controlled the the trigger uh, the the huntmaster before the uh, the threads went poof or or, or say base actions took care of it is going to get the wolf and get the two life that, and that's absolutely right. There was some argument about whether or not it would be the original controller or the threads of disloyalty player uh, because that's a little <laughs> bit confusing when things trigger and then stuff happens and then the trigger goes onto the stack. Yeah, so that's that's an that's an important thing to remember is while we we talk about, you know, you don't check state-based actions in the middle of resolving spells or abilities, nor do you put triggers on the stack in the middle of resolving spells or abilities. Trigger events can occur in the right. middle of things and then they just kind of go off and they kind of sit in this, 
you know, waiting room, holding area until the next time things go on the stack, in which case they all dog try and dogpile on the stack. In after. I, I just think we should call that the new exile zone. New exile. New exile. <laughs> like New York, right? Well, it's <laughs> new, new Smyrna. <laughs> Callbacks. All right, let's move on to the next rules question. This question was actually sent in by two different people, and I think they knew each other and just um, both sent in the question. I'm gonna. It was sent in by Todd Hoyle Harris, and then also David Kelkis. It all Where are they to, from? You tell me. Lose uh, uh, the same place that the Swedish chef is from. Sean did that it. joke in a previous. Did he? Yeah. Okay, fine. The same place Beaker is from. I, I don't know my Muppets as well as you, Brian Berlin. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read the question like Beaker would. Okay, I'll read, read it the for question. Okay. Hate bound. Beaker has no uh, word the, for hate bound. Maybe uh, a little before our time, Brian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. The Muppet movie just came out around Thanksgiving. And I didn't see it because I'm not a child. All right. So the question is, I have two questions about Hold flavor. On. I call on that. <laughs> I, didn't I have seen pictures too. of your house call. The question is, I have two questions about Flayer of the Hatebound that myself and my friends are confused on. Uh, <clears throat> Flayer of the Hatebound is a 4-2 with Undying. And uh, whenever Flayer of the Hatebound or another creature enters the battlefield from your graveyard, that creature deals combat damage equal to its power to target creature or player. The first question is, I have two Flayers of the Hatebounds, and I Pyroclasm or something similar. Um, how much damage will my opponent take? So we have uh, two Flayer of the Hatebounds? Yes. Effectively? Okay. It's pretty you know, self-explanatory. We put two Undying triggers. Mm-hmm. And Undying does not happen simultaneously. One creature will enter the battlefield. And then the next creature with Undying will enter the battlefield. And so the first creature enters the battlefield, and it sees its power and toughness, which is, its power is five, right? Yep. Yeah. So at this point, because of the, the plus one, plus one counter, so it sees its power and toughness and says, I'll deal five damage. And boom, boom hits him for five. And then the second Undying trigger resolves and brings the creature in, which triggers both flares of the Hatebound and deals an additional ten damage. Five for each trigger. Yep. So a total of 15 damage. Uh, Seems good. And then he had a second part of the question where he asks, one of the cards is a flare of the Hatebound, and the other one is a phantasmal image or clone of any sort, copying the flare. And same basic situation, our pyroclasm or something similar, and have them both die. How does that work out when one of them's a clone? Oh, okay. So having the clone come first, mm-hmm. uh, like, because when both creatures die... Uh, and go to the graveyard. You get to you get to pick how you are going to un- uh, stack the undying triggers. And if you if you stack the clones undying trigger on top, it's going to resolve first, and the clone's going to come back in. And there's no flare of the hate bound for it to be. Maybe there's even not even a creature, so it's going to or the phantasmal image. So really, you're going to want to pick the you know it may copy another creature in play, mm-hmm. in which case you are opting for it not to. So it comes in as a zero zero with its plus one plus one counter, no abilities. Yep. And, uh, which interestingly enough comes up the target of a of of a spell or ability there. Yeah, because that that uh, fun little ability for the phantasmal image is part of the copy effect. Yep. Um 
then the then the flare will come into play and be like, hey, I'm a 5-3, blam, take five. However, if you do it the other way, and you stack it so that the, the, the flare is undying, the, the real flare's ability triggers first, uh, or, or rather uh, resolves first, it'll come in and go, and we'll have, we basically have the exact same situation as the last time, uh, as, or as the, uh, the, the first conversation that we had with the two flares, because flare one will come in, deal five, blam, clone or phantasmal image will come into, uh, as it comes into play, you now have a flare that you can choose that it is, and it'll come into cop, it'll come into play as a copy. It will have the trigger, and the game essentially sees a second flare of the hate bound. So you get to do another ten, five and five. Sounds pew pew beautiful. Sounds great. Oh. All right, we got a couple of just hire you as a sound effects guy. <laughs> that would, that would be fantastic. Um, yeah, that was it for just do the sound. Yeah, just do, the sound effects. Just do no actual fun. content. Just yeah. <laughs> pew pew pew. pew, um, pew. All right, we got a couple of regular emails, and then we will wrap up the show. This has been this has been a long one. Um, it's been a very long show. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's my fault. Uh, <laughs> but I, I thought it was good to talk about GP Nashville. Okay, the first one comes from Dave Robinder in Colorado Springs. Where's Colorado Springs? Is it in Colorado? Nope. Yes, yes, it is. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know a Colorado accent, so I'll just read it. Uh, he says, "So hey, sorry." What? Like Yosemite Sam. They sound like Yosemite Sam. They really don't. I was really going to just say who on you, just to pull. Rootinist, rootinist, tootinist. Pull the old troll on you, but I do know who Yosemite Sam is. He says, so sorry to see Sean going. I've been a listener since the beginning and enjoy every episode. I'll have to think of some good rules questions for the new guys. In the meanwhile, looking forward to more quality stuff from the show. Thanks for keeping it going. So thanks, Dave, for thanking us. We yeah, and you're welcome. welcome. Thank you, and you're welcome for us keeping up the show. Uh, we look forward to bringing you more good, te- more good content. You're welcome. This is well. the normal response to a thank you. Thank you, guys. And sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> then we got another email from our our rivals, uh, Judge Castenworth. Uh oh. Uh oh. That was. Uh, are, we gonna, are we Are we gonna bring that up? Like, yeah. That was one of my. Okay. I want to start some stuff. Well, it's the end of the show. Well, they so. they apparently want to start some stuff too. They've mentioned over email and over Twitter that they would like to be our rivals. Like to be. Um, you have to be on the same class as us to be our rivals. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, they keep, they, 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 they phrased it like a request. Like, yeah. we, like, we want to be your rivals. Will you please let us? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so I'm really not sure how to respond to that. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Okay. Sure. You know, it could be kind of like uh, I guess like the uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees, right? Because the Red Sox are like, oh, we're we're rivals, Arr! and the Yankees are like, who are the Red Sox? What? Sure, it's fine. You can say you're in there. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's fine. No, that's not to that's not to diminish the 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 people involved with Judge Castanorth, and they're you know they're great judges, and I'm sure they're doing their best to put together a quality product. I think I've heard their first podcast. I don't yeah. know if they have any more since then. They had another one coming uh, out today. I have not heard it yet. Okay, so they're doing that, and, you know, I, the more voices, the better. I mm-hmm. really think that it's going to be a great thing. But if they want to be kind of a, a rivalry thing, I'm all up for that. We can oh, definitely do it. It's no problem. So I'll just read what they said. Uh, we're glad to see Judge Cash is back on the air. We look forward to a long and prosperous rivalry with you guys now. I don't know how it's going to be prosperous when we burn them to the ground, but <laughs> I, guess, I guess it works out fine. 
Uh, you know, it's, uh, see, I, I don't know if we're going to listen to their podcast now and, and have them rip on us or if they're going to, or if they're going to just like make us look bad by not doing that at all. Oh, um, they're going to just say nice things about us. Yeah. <laughs> Jerks. Uh, <laughs> That's CJ Schrader. He's a really nice guy. <laughs> Charlotte! Oh, she oh. made me so mad. I can't. <laughs> no. Yeah, their podcast has a girl, while our podcast has a strict no girls allowed policy. Uh, no, I don't think that's the case at all. (laughs) That's that's a policy I'm not aware of. Oh, no. Uh, Oh, we were going to talk about it later. Uh, okay, okay, we'll discuss that one later. But CJ's all upset because he already made up the sign to hang on the door. I I even put the R backwards. I I thought it'd go for like gangbusters. Alright, guys. That's it. Alright. We're done. Uh, awesome. Thank you for being on, Brian. <laughs> thank, you, thank you for letting me derail the show on a uh, on a repeating basis. No problem. We like having you on. Thank you. <laughs> thank you again for listening to JudgeCast, all of our listeners out there. And for JudgeCast, I'm Jess Dunks, and this is CJ Trader, and our guest, Brian Pillman. For the love of God, please stop. Just hit the button. How a cat funny. just fell on me and it hurts a lot. No, just just rabble, rabble, rabble. Judge Cast North, rawr, rival, 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 rival. Raven uh, Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox. Raven Fox, Raven Fox, Raven Fox.